welcome to episode 115 of Friends of Film, a podcast where we release news and releases in the movie world. On this episode, we'll cover Ava DuVernay joining DC, Spider-Man's new villain details, a few casting updates, and more after we review Tomb Raider. As always, I'm your host, Kripod Onescan, joined by a man who's possibly raided a few tombs in his day, Josh Straley. Oh, no, 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 no. That is a federal crime, and <laughs> uh, there are other w- whacked-out implications that inferences that go along with people who usually raid tombs in the real world that but if you had, like if you to had to like dig up you know say like superman's grave oh, okay. would you do that uh, well seeing how well it worked out for the last couple <laughs> people that did it no 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 okay pass hard pass but hey everyone um don't forget you can check out um all of our latest shows on itunes stitcher and soundcloud and you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Friends and Film to receive all of our latest updates. And while you're there on iTunes or Facebook or Twitter, leave us a review. It really helps. Yeah, and be sure to check out our website, friendsandfilm.blogspot.com. No, wordpress.com. I mixed I mix yes. it up again. Friendsandfilm.wordpress.com where you'll see the reviews like the one. I uh, did at this time of this being published. I've not currently written it yet, but the review for Tomb Raider uh, starring Alicia Vikan, which we are reviewing today. If we get into spoilers on this, uh, which we may, may not, not really sure, uh, there'll be a timestamp in the description of this episode so you guys can skip those spoilers if you haven't seen the movie yet, but hopefully you have so you can stick with us through the entire discussion. Tell us your thoughts, spoiler or not, and then get into the news with us as well. But... This is a video game movie. Mm-hmm. Video game movies have traditionally had a very tough time being translated to the big screen. Yes. There's like, you know, depending on what level of goodness you want to mm-hmm. judge them on, there's Quality. maybe like one or two, maybe three. You'd be like, okay, I enjoyed those. But even then, the people who are like, enjoy them or like, it's a bad movie, but I still find enjoyment out of them. Yeah. Like for me, uh, the Prince of Persia movie is like mm-hmm. guilty pleasure. Where like, oh, yeah. I, I still ha- I still find fun with that just because of like Jake Gyllenhaal, Jim Martin, um, Ben Kingsley. Like it has, right. it has a really good cast and it has some good set pieces. And this one for Tomb Raider, not a, not didn't really love or like the uh, Angelina Jolie ones, but this one I quite enjoyed. Oh, because of Alicia Vikander taking on the titular role of Laura Croft. I thought she was really great in the role. I mean, she's physical. She commands the screen. Uh, she's got the charisma necessary to make you like her and, and like Laura Croft and want to go on this journey with her. But then also, Vikander's like not afraid to really go for it in certain places where like yeah. she's being thrown around. And like you know, in traditional Hollywood movies, you think, oh, this girl who looks like a model is just going to want to look like a model the whole time. And like, no, nah, like Vikander's like cut up, muddle over her, like. It's just all around dirty, scuffed up everything. And you're like, all right, she's like really going for it. And I appreciate that as a viewer. Um, I also thought one of the strong points was in Laura Croft's journey, she's trying to find and uh, go after her father and try to figure out and solve his final puzzle that he was, you know, looking to solve. And the connection between her and her father played by Dominic West, I thought was really strong uh, I was hmm. actually, you know, believed it. I felt like, okay, like this is, this, this is working for me. Like it, it's done primarily through flashbacks, yeah. um, which, 
you know, work fine for the time being. I mean, it's not the greatest, but, you know, it, it does what it does. Um, then on the flip side, we have Walton Goggins playing the villain. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I really liked him. I thought he, I thought he was like, he was a bit over the top. He was like, definitely being a little campy, I think just kind of, but he was also, I thought like super menacing at certain points. Like he's ruthless. He's very easy to like, see that villain aspect of him, but he also like has some grounded motivations. Like Mm -hmm. he's just trapped on this Island and wants to get home too. Like he's not doing this because he wants to find, you know, whatever queen Himikoa or Himiko is like whatever magic she possessed. She's just like, he's a hired man trying to get home to his family too. So like there it's like relatable in a sense there, but he like just doesn't really take no for an answer. He'll do whatever he wants. And, um, you know, I thought that dynamic between him and Laura was, uh, worked pretty well along with her dynamic with Daniel Wu's character, who I thought was a pretty decent sidekick. I would have liked to see maybe him get a little more involved. He was a little sidelined from uh, my liking, but I was also just happy that they didn't go like any romantic route with them. Because yeah. I definitely saw like ah, they're gonna they're gonna get there near the end, <laughs> yeah, and then like they didn't. The mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. Like the most she flirts with is Nick Frost, which is <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> so. The characters I I thought were strong across the board, but really the action's what you're coming to see for a Tomb Raider movie for a video game adaptation like this. Um, as somebody who hasn't played the video games, you know, but I've seen clips of them or I've seen trailers for the new video games or whatever. Yeah. You see the kind of crazy wild adventures Laura Croft goes on and we saw a lot of that in the trailers, but I think even the set piece that I liked the most was like the very first one where she's like running through Brazil or whatever island she's on, um, trying to find a boat to go to this island. Oh, in Hong Kong. Hong yeah. Kong, yeah. Yep. I was like, I don't remember where it was, but mm-hmm. in that, it's not. We don't. We didn't see any of that. I don't think in the trailers, as no, far as I remember. The first thirty minutes of the movie is absent from the entire, almost almost completely right. absent from the entire marketing. And I thought that that one really set up the motion this movie well where like it's it's just a straight foot chase it's nothing special but like there's some nice camera work in there uh following vikander she's like running through this boat village and like jumping over things and chasing after these three guys and like that was like exhilarating it worked and then as the movie progresses the action continues to escalate and escalate and escalate and you're just like okay you know like the boat jump like i even I didn't go back and check this, but it seemed like the jump of her on the like, the plane wing, it seemed like that was more exaggerated in the trailer than it actually was in the movie. Like, yeah, I remember in the trailer, it's like, okay, that's like humanly impossible. But like in the movie, it's like, oh, she just, she jumped a couple of feet. Like that's totally realistic. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they edited that in pose just to be like, all right, let's make this a little less like superhero-ish. Yeah. And, but it worked. And, I, and then like, there's another turn in that action set piece. And like, it just kept going and it was really fun. And, uh, that was really what I wanted from this movie. So the fact that it moved at a quick pace, had a lot of action and had characters that I liked, uh, really carried it. I mean, the story, nothing special. I mean, you've, you've seen it in a thousand other movies. Uh, it's really heavy handed at certain points, uh, especially in the opening and the ending of just like over explaining things that are so clear that you're right. like, 
you didn't need to do an extra two minutes to set up this one thing, especially like the movie starts with like the history of Queen Himiko and like her magic and like the legend of her and everything. And then like not 15 minutes later, we, we got to hear Dominic West, Lord Cross father, like explain it all (laughs) again, like using the exact same footage, the exact same voice. I'm like, so why, why did you do this? Like, you're just going to reuse it again. So that felt a little lazy or just like, I don't know why you did it. It just seemed like you are adding on to the runtime at that point, which it's under two hours, just barely, but you probably could have trimmed it down a little more, helped it flow a little quicker. But overall, I've had a really good time with this, and I'm going to give it three and a half ticket stubs out of five. Okay, nice. Uh, so I guess I I have a lot of positive things to say about okay. Laura Croft. First of all, just it, Laura Croft. Alicia Vikander, first of all, is the only actor actress in this movie worth recognizing. Um, Goggins, like you said, he was campy, but also just he belonged he felt like he belonged in a worse movie and the same for dominic west in a lot of ways as well uh for his role in the film she is here for a tomb raider movie a good tomb raider movie and they're there for oh this is just a side job that i need to do to fill a month of my time or whatever Mm -hmm. the case is They, they were both really bad um, Daniel Wu, I think, um, as Lou Ren. He their, was char- good. their characters are bad or their performances? Performances and characters. Oh. Just really bad. But Daniel Wu as Lou Ren did make a great uh, number two to Croft um, as, you know, reluctantly being brought up on this venture. And yeah, like you said, he is sidelined pretty quick, at least once or twice. Um, but as an overall whole, my reservations about the movie were wrong or, you know, they didn't come to fruition at all. The set pieces were, like you said, grounded, gritty, and really good. I didn't once roll my eyes at anything that happened on screen. Uh, and that was like a shocking because the, the entirety of those trailers were just, here's this big thing. Here's this big thing. And it looked like, you know, there was the trailer for skyline or skyscraper with Dwayne Johnson yeah. more than it did like a tomb Raider film. Uh, and I really appreciated that. And like you said, with um, Vikander's Croft, uh, extremely physical. I mean, like everything that like, goes on here is, I mean, not in like in a sort of torturous way, but just mm-hmm. um, less matrix acrobatic and just rough and tough. And it really, really works. Um, but where the movie just kind of turns into a whole sidewinder is... It's, it's plot. I mean, like, everything around the narrative of what Croft is doing is either kind of like, uh, not really an eye roll, but just sort of like, okay, we get it, or I want more of that. And they and it just puts itself right in the middle, and it's unsatisfying either way. The opening was like, okay, this kind of feels like a coming-of-age Indiana Jones mm-hmm. film, the way it's placed. And I sort of wish they'd just cut that part out especially because of a particular spoiler that we can I'll touch on in a minute. Yeah. Um, so we're on this island for maybe, I mean, is it really, it didn't seem like a long time. The island? Yeah. It's like at least half the movie. I felt like we were there for 20 minutes and then it was over. <laughs> See, like, it moves, it's quick. Yeah, it is. It, it, it is. But after everything happens, you're like, nothing really happened other than a couple, like one action set piece in the, forest and then they're inside the tomb 
mm-hmm. and then that all plays out. Right, but that's still on the island. Yes, but they're sort of separate. I mean, like the okay. activity around it, and then Goggins' whole thing of being there, it's thin, and it's clearly sequel set up, and it doesn't really hold its own, in my opinion. Um, so I felt like it needed to be 15 minutes longer or get rid of that prologue and mm-hmm. let us be on that island a little bit more. Um, but yeah, uh, overall though, I did enjoy it. Like okay. Vikander, like I said, great in the role. She was, she was, she's an Oscar winning actress who showed up to perform and sells you on a Laura Croft film franchise. Um, but everything else outside of the action kind of falls flat. Okay. But I enjoyed it. So three ticket stubs. All right. Uh, I also want to mention, I saw it in IMAX. It's, it's not, it wasn't filmed for IMAX. So it's one of those like, all right, we're going to like just kind of blow it up a little bit just to get on IMAX, make a couple extra bucks at the box office. I thought that on the action part of it, it worked in IMAX, you know, further because it's just a bigger scale. It's bigger screen. It, it helps kind of sell all those and make them a little more grand probably. Um, but it also led to a little bit of a complaint on mine, which I don't know if that's just because of it was an IMAX and they boost all this stuff or this is actually how it sounds in a regular theater or, or on home video or whatever. But like at certain points, the composer just like goes like all out and just like, <laughs> dude, you're really blowing out the speakers on like a reveal. That's like nothing. Like once they like crack the rocks to like be able to get into the tomb. Yeah. They're like looking at these rocks falling down and looking at just like a hole and the music like bah, bah, <laughs> and you're like what, uh, what? junkie XL, right? It, I mean maybe it kind of it seems like a junkie XL thing, but like I don't know, it was just like maybe that maybe that isn't as bad as it seemed like in a regular theater, but in IMAX it definitely like took me out of it a couple moments just cuz like you're just you're too you're too much right now. Like, be a little more, uh, just I don't know, quieter. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it was junky XL. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's move into spoilers here, just so we can talk about a couple of things. Okay. Um, like you mentioned, the twist of the movie. Dominic West, um, Richard Croft is not dead, as the, the movie tells you a thousand times. Yeah in the beginning um he's alive and he's on the island and after vikander um finishes kills her first person which right that was was a good scene that was really good that was like the oscar caliber thing i was like this is really cool to watch her kill her first person yeah the trauma of it and like yeah the trauma exactly she was like she like got really messed up because of that and i was like dang like and that's another thing the brutality of this movie like it doesn't really pull a lot of punches. Like a dude gets speared through the jaw and like mm-hmm. the whole head basically. Like yep. um, there were a couple other moments. I was just like, dang, like they're just going for it here. And like, I was kind of surprised that it got so brutal, especially for a PG 13 movie. Like it didn't get, it didn't cross that line or anything, right. but it definitely like seeing her just straight up, like drown a person. I was like, dang. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was like apocalypse now style, uh, you know, just takedown. Mm-hmm. And it was, really cool and i liked the uh opening box scene i was like that's where like when she's fine i was like vikander like you can tell she like really trained up for this role yeah and like the it speaks to the grounded aspect of this thing that i was mm-hmm. getting at. is like they show you they show vikander early in the movie just do a couple small little things that sort of say oh she's acrobatic and tough and mm-hmm. she can handle herself and then when we finally get to the island except for the exposition on her archery skills 
None of it yeah. seemed out of place or weird or wrong or anything like that. You're like, okay, we get it. She's tough, mm-hmm. clever, as she outsmarted those people on the bike game, yeah. which is actually looks like a fun game to play. Yeah, it does. Um, and then when you, you get to the island, you're like, okay, mm-hmm. this, this, this makes so much sense. So perhaps that's the reason for not beginning there or whatever the case is. Yeah. But, uh, but back to the father. Yeah, back to him. Once he comes into the movie... I'm just so sucked out of it. We spend 15 okay. minutes with him and her together sort of trying to reconcile mm-hmm. or catch up. I was not about it. You didn't buy it? Didn't buy, I mean, it's not that I didn't buy it. I was just like, there's a whole island out there for her to like, you know, become Tomb Raider or, ex- you know, at least sell, to kind of come into her own. Mm-hmm. And instead we have to sit down and have a so, re- conversation with her father that doesn't go anywhere. So then how does his ultimate death land with you like that didn't work either not really no see i thought all those scenes helped build up the connection as well as the flashback so then like once you get to that death scene it's like we get us we had to go through laura's experience of just like losing her father the first time Mm -hmm. and now finding him like there's that moment where like she wakes up after like that first night after she finds him and she can't find him and she like freaks out a little bit and you're like yeah it's heartbreaking and then to see her have to like stand there and be like sorry kiddo like dad always loves you and you're like now she's gotta like let her dad go die like that sucks Mm -hmm. so like that all stuff worked for me just because it helped give the movie some emotion which otherwise i feel like it would have been like really emotionally lacking because if it was like her father's dead the whole time she just like goes to the island finds the tomb that's the movie yeah like there's no there's nothing else added to it of substance I guess. I could have gone for her stumbling across his his own possessions maybe on the island, mm-hmm. but it just felt I mean we took way too long with um them in the cave and her him tending to her injuries and things mm-hmm. like that. That's fair. But so yeah, I, I fell mean, on it. Uh the other thing like I mentioned the over explaining aspect jumping all the way to the very end of the movie the like this girl's a bad guy. It's yes, like, her. oh man, that was the part. I was just like, well, I was like, all right, just end this movie. Like you didn't need it at all. Right. Like the sequel setup. <laughs> it was, yeah, the sequel setup. It was also just done so poorly. Like the fact that like they showed her like, oh, do we own all of these companies? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, obviously she, own, like they own, they own the evil company that's been opposing Richard Croft for all these years. Clearly. Right. And then, it's because of this one chick is like overseeing all of this stuff and making those decisions. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not subtle. Like it's very clear, but then we see her like go back to the mansion and go down into the little bunker thing yeah. and then pull out the box on this organization and then see pictures of a girl with mm-hmm. from behind. And you're like, and she's like, Oh, who is that? And then like, she has this like flash, all these flashes of memories of just right. like, Oh, peace and all together. Like, this is so clear. Like yeah. it was frustrating. Cause up until that point, I thought the direction was really solid. And then I was just like, I don't know if that was Roar Uthog's decision or if that was the studio being like, we need to get some sequel set up just in case this movie does really well mm-hmm. or does it good enough that we can actually make a sequel. Yeah. We need to have the seeds laid. And I was like, Man, that was just so heavy-handed that it really killed the ending for right. me. Right, and then you're th- left thinking, is Richard Croft, like, how dumb is this dude? Right. Because you can clearly tell it's the um, Croft-holding CEO, mm-hmm. president, whatever, you know, in that photo. I'm like, did he never just, like, you know, compare yeah, look at and, them. <laughs> and wonder? So, yeah, that part was just, uh, that, that if, there, if I did eye roll in my movie, you know, that was the part where I was just like, 
yeah, we get it. Yeah. Why, I, why twice? I also didn't like that they sh- like they used that I'll take two guns mm-hmm. in the in the marketing because then like once she leaves the island, I'm like, I like thought about that shot randomly and I was like, wait, yeah. So does she like escape the island and then go back with guns? Like, <laughs> what does this mean? And then like it just ends with that. I was like, all right, like I get it. You gotta ha- you gotta give Laura Croft like her pistols, but mm-hmm. like, yeah. Save that for like the a sequel. Don't show it in the market or anything. Because at that point, I was just like, "All right, so like, when are we getting to this scene?" And it mm-hmm. made me question things. And again, it felt like sequel setup that who knows if we're even gonna get. But I did totally appreciate the pawn shop owner. I can't even find his name, but Nick Frost. Oh, is that who that was? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was perfect. Yeah, he's yeah, he's so funny. Him at, like. <laughs> Stop flirting with her. I'm not flirting. Oh. I was. <laughs> yes. it's like, it's I like, thought you right. meant the, the cycle bro or whatever he was. No, 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 no. She no. was quoting Hamlet too. Got it. No. That was funny too because it's like, it was one of those things that like lay that like she clearly had like an educated background. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why are you just like running <laughs> errands yeah. on a bike? Like you're definitely overqualified for this. So, I mean, you said you're down for a sequel. Mm-hmm. I'd be down for a sequel. Yeah. Uh I don't know what the movie's budget was, but 90 million, 90 million. but I mean, it's going to make, I think it's projected to make like $25 million opening weekend. That's just domestically. So overseas and everything, you never know. I think it could probably break even, um, but it'll have to do that primarily with really good legs and the movie's not getting great reviews or really dominant overseas. Um, so I think this could be like a Power Rangers type situation where like the movie gets really close to being like, all right, we can make a sequel to this, but probably doesn't quite get there. And then it's just up to the studio to be like, so are we doing this or not? Yeah. And I feel like with Tomb Raider, like with the name, with Alicia, like now establishing herself in the role, mm-hmm. I feel like they'll do it unless this movie just like makes like $25 million this weekend and then five million dollars the week after and just yeah. like ends up making less than 50 million dollars domestically or something like then it probably doesn't have a chance but i would i'd like to see one and then i think the, with this setup being the way it is if they can get the sequel to much more of a um, complete adventure instead of like a origin story mm-hmm. i think that'll be m- like a much bigger draw and i think they could etch out some great reviews right because oh. this film it basically has the mystery already solved for you. Uh-huh. Like, it's just, where is the tomb? Oh, it's right there in the yeah. book. And there's no real problem solving for Laura other than she has to figure out how Chinese to open puzzle it. box. Right. Which, yeah, like, I did like how, because this movie is very Indiana Jones-esque, mm-hmm. but I liked how Indiana Jones always deals with, like, these, like, crazy, you know, legends and magic and yes. aliens and that was like the way this was going and then they twisted like oh it's not magic that queen himiko had it was just disease she was carrying disease that's why she was killing people because right. if you touched her you get the disease you're dead and mm-hmm. i was like oh like i liked that i don't know if that's the way it is in the video games or whatever but they're, like they're supernatural okay crazy but I, I liked that they like grounded it to make it like this is could like realistically be in this world mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like too far fetched. It's not right. like aliens <laughs> come yes. down from space and are, you know, hiding out in some South American country or something. Right on. So I, I enjoyed that aspect as well. So uh yeah, I mean recommendations from both of us here at Friends and Film. 
Uh, I hopefully have my review up on the site so you guys can read that before this episode drops. Um, but we'll see what happens because I'm leaving for vacation. Ooh, where are you headed? Tomorrow, Florida. Nice. So I'll be there this next week. Um, should still be able to give all the episodes on a timely manner, but you know, if they're a day later, so I they if anything, they'll probably be early because I'll be like, I just want to get it out now because I have time. So that is our view of Tomb Raider. We'll be right back in a bit with news. And we're back with the news, and as always, we're going to start with Ticket or Skip It. This week, we have three trailers for you, two from movies we've never discussed on the pod before, including the first trailer for Sorry to Bother You, the movie starring Tessa Thompson and Lakeith Stanfield, Ooh. premiered at Sundance, I believe, or a previous festival in Toronto earlier this year. It's gotten, Sundance has gotten earlier. good buzz. Um, did you like the trailer? Yes, Ticket. The whole way. It's like a psychedelic Scott Pilgrim, like uh-huh. Edgar Wright kind of movie. Like, I don't know exactly what's going on, but Lakeith Stanfield looks like he's going to be memorable as heck. Uh, Tessa Thompson, um, in a way I've never seen her before. Uh-huh. So like zany and out there. So great. And then after the introduction of him at a call center, using a white voice to make sales, oh, man. which was uh, so funny. Um, I just totally lost any thread of what was going on, but there looks like there's some really great narrative structures mm-hmm. and things like that with him being dropped into the room of the people he's talking to on the phone. So that's really cool. But yeah, like take it all the way. I mean, Arnie hammer pops up and makes a, yeah. uh, some, I don't know what he's doing, but he's there and kind of seemed like he could either get pretty intense or funny later on, depending on which way his character goes. So I'm all about, Oh, and Terry Crews as well. Oh Yeah. He's like the neighbor or whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is a 24. Correct. I believe. I feel like I saw the A twenty four logo in front of this. Uh, uh, yes. So let's go for it. A twenty four has a really good track record mm-hmm. with, especially with indies like this, and with Tessa and Lakeith as it leads to actors uh, that I am very fond of. Uh, it's a big ticket for me. I loved the way that this movie. It just had a different energy to it that I appreciated. Like the shots you mentioned of him, much like dropping to the desk and like yeah. a lot of like interesting and fun like camera work and you know editing and all that stuff and like even like you know the fact that they're living in a garage and like there's just like funny moments to be had there that i hope this isn't like a photo project where like we get all this buzz and then we never get in theaters here yeah and it's just like oh it's on Redbox randomly one day and that's how i watch this because i want to support it i want to go see it and i want to buy a ticket for mm-hmm. it so, there it is. Uh, then we also got our first trailer for Adrift. And I will say this. It's a movie uh, directed by Baltazar Cormaker, who directed Everest, Two Guns, uh, Contraband. Hmm. Uh, and it stars Shailene Woodley and Sam Claflin, both from well-known young adult franchises, Divergent, Hunger Games. Uh, to take it for me as well here, because I thought they... You have to buy into both of them as this movie is basically just a vehicle for both of them because it's just them. <laughs> like they're really the only two people we see in the trailer. We see like these two, this, this older couple that offers to like let them sail their boat 4,000 miles. Yeah. 
And they're like, all right, sure, why not? And then, but like the true life story aspect of it, I thought was like riveting. Like it really captured my attention. And you get to see like all of this distress that they're going through. Like Sam Claflin's like ribs are broken and his eyes. Uh, ankles broken or his leg or something mm-hmm. and it's up to Shane Lee Woodley to like help make them survive fix up the boat and sail to Hawaii I think is their yep. targeted destination like it looks like a good sort of like survival movie mixed like the mixes um the Tom Hanks one that I can't think of it's Castaway name. Castaway yeah. geez Castaway and like even like in the heart of the sea like it kind of mixes like those sort of elements together to give you like life on a boat, just two people, even like yeah, life of pie. You could throw that in there as a comparison. Like, and it look it looks intense. It looks good, and uh, I'll definitely see this. I didn't think what where I didn't know where it was going. So initially, it was like, oh man, why are we talking about a romantic <laughs> comedy or you know like a yeah romance a, movie, yeah, uh, fault in our stars mm-hmm. on a boat <laughs> type of right, a, yeah. type of a movie, and then all of a sudden the hurricane thing came up and then it was said based on a true story. It's like, Oh, this is going a different place. And thankfully, uh, it looks really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm usually one to eschew sh- boat dramas, like heart of the sea and things like that. Just not really about it. Okay. Um, you know, like even castaway Tom Hanks's Oscar movie. Just kinda like, you don't like castaway. Uh, it's just kind of boring. It's like, Oh, he's just, do you not connect with stuff. Wilson? <laughs> no, I mean Wilson's great, charismatic, oh. um, great performance, just, supporting Oscar, right? Uh, but there's a few things about his character that are problematic, especially okay. in relation to Mr. Hanks. But anyway, this is um, Sam Claflin. He's Finnick, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, he looks so different when he's not blonde. Okay, anyway, um, yeah, but it looks good. I'll I'll probably ticket it. You know, reluctantly, okay. I'm like, not one that's gonna you know drive out to this, right? But it looks good enough that I would wouldn't say no to it. That you would like if it was, if it's on a our, weekend that nothing else is coming out, which I don't think it is, right? Um, actually, I think it is because Deadpool moved off its date, so I think it has that first week of June release date. So maybe this is a future review on the podcast. One that will be for sure is Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Got our first trailer this week. Josh, you are the bigger Potterhead <laughs> yes. of the two of us. I what am, did you think? I am the resident Harry Potter expert. Yes. And I've only seen each film once. <laughs> Go for it. Um, anyway, Jude Law is the Muldor. Perfect. I mean, now I'm just saying that because I do love Jude Law, mm-hmm. but... He was phenomenal in this. So however that all plays out, um, I'm excited to see. But everything else that wasn't Jude Law related seems kind of underwhelming. And weird, not weird, but just uncertain and directionless. And I know it's a trailer, but I didn't understand a single thing that was going on. And it's because... They are avoiding Johnny Depp like the plague in this trailer, yep. and he's your he's your antagonist. So he's how, in the title, <laughs> so it's just. I mean, it's a teaser trailer. I uh, guess I'd say it's a real. I'd say, I'd say it's a full trailer. Okay, it's like yeah. two fourteen, and we have no indication of what's going on. I mean, it's an effects heavy movie, so those things will come in later, but. Uh, I mean, we do get a really good look at what seemed to be the Commander Brothers mm-hmm. together, uh, whipping up some 
spells, ca- conjuring up some spells, conjuring up casting some spells. Some spells. Uh, Catherine Watterson's back. Nozo Kravitz. She's in there. She's, there's one shot of her. Is that from the rooftop? No. That's uh, Claudia Kim. Oh, okay. I believe. Uh, no, Zoe Kravitz is like, there's like that, looks like a ballroom or some sort of like fashion show. Mm, yeah. Like there's like a quick shot of her. Okay. But yeah, I mean, other than that, it's just kind of like, what's happening? Oh, well, I'll find out. But how is this even tangently related to Fantastic Beasts? Right. It's not because it's shrunk and stuck in the corner and it's just the crimes of Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. So, oi. So, take oh, it or t- skip I mean, it? We're going to review it. So, I, I mean, <laughs> so I'm getting my ticket, ticket punched. I want to see this train wreck up close. <laughs> train wreck, okay. I, I, yeah. I will say that I like the trailer. Okay. I'm pretty surprised. Uh Mainly because, like you said, it's it's the Jude Law show. This movie should be called Fantastic Beasts, The Rise of Dumbledore mm-hmm. or something. Because clearly, Dumbledore is like going to be the main focus of this movie. It's not Newt Scamander. It's not Grindelwald, at least based on this marketing. Uh, it's going to be Jude Law's Dumbledore. And he looks like he, you know, see, having seen one of the original Harry Potter movies, mm-hmm. uh, I don't have a connection to... Who is it? Richard Harris? Who does? Not Richard Harris. I, I see. I don't even know. Whoever plays Dumbledore in the original, the first two movies. I've seen the first one. Uh, you know, I don't have that strong connection to Dumbledore. Yeah. He was fine. He was good. Good mentor. Um, but Jude Law looks like he's bringing more to this character. Right. I mean, obviously so because he's being put in such a big position in this prequel reboot movie thing they're doing. Um you mentioned like we got to see a little a brief shot of Calm Turner as the other Scamander brother. Don't know what they're doing there. Are they fighting Grindelwald? Probably. Yes. Um, but then there were also like there were just those moments that even though I didn't love Fantastic Beasts, I still had fun with it. Mm-hmm. And the movie like reminded me of that with like showing the different beasts. Like we see a couple of them. Yeah. Um, but then like Dan Fogler comes back yes. and you're like, oh yeah, I liked him. Like him and. Uh, the uh, the girl that he's with, and then Catherine Watterson, like we see all of them again in the trailer, and I was like, oh yeah, like this is why I liked that movie. Like it wasn't great, but I still enjoyed my time with it. And then to see like, you know, Ezra Miller's back, like there's a, there's definitely a lot of moving pieces, but I would still say I liked the trailer and give it a ticket overall, even if they are just like so blatantly hiding from Johnny Depp that it makes it abundantly clear to me that Warner Brothers knows that they should have recast. Yeah. <laughs> because you can't have your movie be titled The Crimes of Grindelwald and then avoid Grindelwald in the marketing because you guys cast somebody that the public hates. Yeah, and especially, too, they won't even give you a, a, an answer about why they chose to remain with them other than, you know, ham-fisted tweets and things like that. Yeah, saying, oh, well, we already, we already did it. We stuck, we, you know, he's a good guy when he's around us. Okay, yeah. you know that's just that's what everyone said about. That's a that's a working relationship. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, I mean, not to say that they're, they're on the same level, I guess. Right. Uh, it's, but the, the, it's it's different, you know, pasts and histories that these characters have. But I don't know. I mean, just seeing this, it's like, all right. Hopefully, they get through this movie. And if they make a third one, they just like redo that potion and they bring back Colin Farrell. Yeah. <laughs> just, That'll, that I mean, if that was the case, if we had Colin Farrell in this mm-hmm. again, playing Grindelwald, like I'd be like, oh yeah, big buy, big ticket, like no problems about it. But because there's like, 
I liked what I saw, but then the parts that I didn't see, it's like, why didn't I see more of this? Because right. like, it's clearly going to be a big part of the movie. So it just raises questions that we probably won't get answered until the movie comes out in November. That's right. So uh, moving on then to the actual news this week, Deadline revealed that Ava DuVernay is doing a superhero movie after all, but that she's joined the DC Universe to direct a live-action, big-budget adaptation of The New Gods. Uh, these are characters created by Jack Kirby in the early 1970s uh, that you know brought to life characters in DC Comics like Darkseid, Granny Goodness, Big Barda, Orion, Highfather, more. Um, and at this time, you know, it looks like it could be a portion of the universe that could be really big, really broad, go really deep in mythology, and really help expand the universe if it's connected to a universe at all, because currently deadline says that this isn't part of the DCEU, Hmm. but variety says that it is. So there's conflicting reports there. Um, But the DCU is already pulled from the new gods already by bringing in Steppenwolf, by bringing in the parademons and the mother boxes, all things that were created out of the new gods lines throughout the years. So Duvernay DC new gods, what do you think? Duverne, DC, good. I just don't know anything about the new gods <laughs> at all. Um, I think it's fantastic that Duverne has already got a new, her next gig lined up. Um, but I just have no clue about the source material and how Duverne is the person to bring into life. But let's do it. I mean, who are the new gods? Dark side the new god? I thought yeah. these, they're, 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 they're not heroes then. Is it just like a section of the comics? Yeah, new, new gods are like uh, a species almost, I guess. They're like... A, like inhumans. A, yeah, they're like inhumans or mutants or whatever. So there's good and bad ones yeah. and they all fight each other. Mm-hmm. And like it's very it's like Star Wars-y in a sense. Got um, it. And before I get into that, because I'm not super familiar with the new gods. All right. Uh, you know, I've done some research here and there on them. I've heard about them, but... I've just never mm-hmm. gotten really invested in these, into those characters. The thing that really stuck out to me is the timing of this. It comes a week after Wrinkle in Time hit theaters. And the perception was, ooh, this movie only made $33 million opening weekend. Yikes. Ugh. That's not, that's not good. But I like the fact that we get to see Ava DuVernay make a movie. The first movie ever to be directed by a female of color and have a budget over $100 million, mm-hmm. have that movie not make a lot of money at the box office, get mixed to negative reviews, and she lines up a major blockbuster afterwards despite all that. Yeah. I think that's a really great sign, <laughs> as mm-hmm. sad as it is to say, but typically in the past, you know, if you're not a white man and you fail in a bigger movie you have to go prove yourself two or three more times to try to get that other mid-level movie to try to then get the big movie. Right. But now they're like, Ava, you did a good job there. And we like your vision. We like your takes. We want to bring you in regardless of what your last movie did. I'm also very surprised on the other end that she le- that she's leaving Disney basically. Because like, if you would have asked me at the beginning of this year – Ava DuVernay is going to do a comic movie. You know, it's going to be announced this year that she's going to do a comic movie. What is she doing? I'll be like, oh, 
Black Panther 2, a Storm Solo movie, uh, yeah. The Ultimates, Avengers 5, like whatever. Or maybe she'll go over new Star Wars. She'll do one of the Benioff and Wise movies or do the second entry of the Johnson trilogy or something. And she left, which I think is super interesting because she just did a movie with Disney. Maybe she didn't have that great of a time with it. Uh, you don't know. Uh, that's just something that's interesting to me that they that she would leave to go to Warner Brothers, who've always said they're a very director-driven studio. They would bring her in, and Warner Brothers has that line of like, "You do a big move for us, we'll do a small movie for you." So like, I don't know if that's a deal that she's already worked out with them, where like she'll do New Guys, but then they'll finance her next hmm. Selma, whatever that is, and yeah. help her do indie like. Christopher Nolan's worked with Warner Brothers for many years doing, you know, smaller movies, bigger movies, smaller movies, bigger movies. Ben Affleck's done the same thing. Clint Eastwood. Uh, Warner Brothers likes to lock down directors long term and continue to work with them. So if that's where Ava finds home now, I think that's super interesting. Um, I'd also be surprised this isn't in the DCEU, whether it starts that way or not. uh, I don't think it really matters because unless the new plan for the DC universe is just to never get to Darkseid. You can't do a yeah. movie franchise that has Darkseid as like the primary villain and then not have them be able to use that same character in the just in the in another Justice League movie in the future or something. So uh all in all, I think it's it's a surprising bit of news on all those levels I just mentioned. But I'm interested to see if Duvernay can do this. I mean, when we did our review of Wrinkle in Time last week one of the uh, complaints we both had was the world building aspect of it, that it was kind of, it was done kind of lazily and quickly. And they kind of breezed over a lot of that stuff that could have really fleshed out this world. And based on, you know, my readings up on the new gods and everything, like this is an extensive mythology with big characters, big personalities that you'll need to take time to build out over time to really get that impact. And I hope that she can do that. I have faith that she can, Maybe that was just a Disney thing. Um, who knows? But just to give you a bit of a rundown, rundown since you asked who the yes, new gods are. Apocalypse and then something about a Mobius chair or something like that. Okay. Uh, so like the main character is Orion, Got who's it. basically the Luke Skywalker of the new gods. Sweet. You know, he is the son of Darkseid, who's the big bats, who's the Darth Vader in this <laughs> oh, scenario. What? And... To make it even more Star Warsy, mm-hmm. he is connected to something called um, shoot. What is it? I lost it. The power. Um, no. Shoot. 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 Got it. Um, but he's connected to like something that's like basically the Force. I can't remember or see what it is currently, but it basically like gives him all these powers and everything. And he's like he. Um, you know, basically has to go against Dark Side. He's raised by a character called High Father, uh, who basically like, you know, helps train him and everything. Okay. And then, you know, we have other characters like uh Granny Goodness, who is like the <laughs> trainer of Dark Side's army and uh, you Granny know, goodness. enslaves uh children, raises them to be members of his military. Um very powerful person. And then there's also a big Barda who DuVernay said it's her favorite comic book character ever. Um, so I won't be surprised if she is a very focal, she's a focal point of this movie and this franchise, if it becomes a franchise. Um, but Big Barda is a defector from Granny Goodness and Darkseid's army who like 
then falls in love with Mr. Miracle and eventually like starts like being involved in this like war between like good and evil and all this stuff. Sweet. So, but yeah, that is very Star Wars derivative. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, that sounds epic. I'm looking at a, some like images of all these characters and it looks like DC could have a lot of fun with it. And Ava DuVernay as well. And I mean, like, listen, she did a out there zany movie with Wrinkled in Time. And if New Gods is even a hint of that, um, they're going to be on the right track, I would say. Yeah. Oh, and the thing I was looking for is called The Source. Ooh. So not The Force. <laughs> it's oh. The Source. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Oh. I mean, this, these characters Kirby. were created in, the 19, in 1971. So Star oh, wow. Wars came after. So George Lucas may have pulled some things here. Uh, I mean, nobody is really calling that George Lucas ripped off the idea of Star Wars from no. New Gods. But there are clearly parallels to be had there. And it'll be very interesting to see if and when this movie comes out, mm. if it's just like, oh, so this is just like super-powered Star Wars yeah. <laughs> without laser swords. <laughs> okay. Like, I could definitely see that being a common uh, criticism from people, which uh, will then obviously get comic readers angry, be like, no, 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 we this was created first. Right. George Lucas stole from us. And but like people aren't going to care because on the big screen, Star Wars came first, and then New Gods, just like how mm-hmm. Matrix stole a lot from Ghost in the Shell. But when Ghost of the comes out, it's like, oh, they took a lot of stuff from Matrix. Like, no, no, no. It's the, it's the other way around. Right. But what are you going to do? You know? So then moving on from the DC universe into the Marvel universe, that hashtag show shared some new details this week about who Marvel's looking to cast for the couple of different roles in Spider-Man Homecoming's sequel. The studio is said to be looking for a villain that has, quote, elevated ideas, and they are looking at both male and females of any ethnicity between 30 and 45 to fill that role, as well as mm. they're looking for an 18 to 24-year-old male of any ethnicity to play a fellow high school student who needs to have, quote, leading man qualities. So, mm. based on those descriptions, is there anybody you can think of I can't say it now because you've during the pre-show you. you kind of like tainted my worldview and now I threw everything out. But that's you, all you can think of. That's all I can think of. Wait, so did you have previous suggestions before I tainted your I had view? No previous suggestions. Okay. So now I'm just gonna spit out what you said. But you said Norman and Harry Osborn. Yeah. Or Lisa and Harry Osborn if they cast a female instead, which would be sweet. Yeah. Um, and there's so many people that you could go for. I mean, uh, the fact that I think the fact that they're saying open ethnicity uh, is a good sign because Sony and Marvel have been very open with with this new Spider-Man franchise. They want to represent the world and you know, have an accurate looking Queens. And mm-hmm. that's why they have a very diverse high school. Um, but also it could make it a little tricky that if like since they're looking at all ethnicities, mm-hmm. if they ultimately cast two white people, it's going to be like, what the heck? Yeah. Why didn't you cast these other people instead? It's like, uh, don't know. <laughs> hmm. But uh, the fact that they're looking at all ethnicities uh, to me says that they're not going to cast a white family. If this, is, if they are indeed family members, yeah, we don't know. These could be two completely separate characters, but the fact that they're both open ethnicities and they're both casting at the same time, I mean, it lines up pretty well. They're like, yeah, this is, so. they're connected. And if that's the case, Norman and Harry are really the prime examples and would give 
the MCU two really big players to have moving into phase four, phase five, and so on. Put their fingers everywhere. Mm-hmm. Man, who would... Could you cast Idris Elba as Norman Osborn? Probably not. Oh, that's right. I was trying to think. He's not in the movies, and I'm like, oh, wait, that's right. Yeah, He's he in is. Thor. <laughs> I never think of that. All right. You cast Denzel as Norman. Yes. And then you get Shamik Moore, star of Dope, to play Harry. Perfect. Um, I could see that. That could work for me. You'd definitely be a different type of Harry Osborne, but... English. Yeah, I guess they're neither of them are English, I don't think, so... But they had an accent. They can go, Harry, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just... And then Michael Caine can from? be their butler. Exactly. And- <laughs> we've got this sorted yeah we do so we'll have to see what comes out of those uh two roles hopefully we'll find out more soon because this movie is supposed to start shooting this summer yep uh so it shouldn't be too long and the fact that now character descriptions are coming out and all that stuff should indicate that the casting process is gonna really heat up soon and we'll get those names eventually and who knows maybe it'll surprise us and it's craven the hunter and some random dude and that's that's where we go for the sequel, which I'd be totally fine with. Um, but sticking with Sony, that hashtag show also reported that Sony's Nightwatch spinoff movie is moving forward with Spike Lee circling the project to direct and that he would do so based on a script by Luke Cage showrunner Cheo Hodari Coker. We've talked about this before. The concept of Nightwatch, the prospects potentially of Spike Lee directing this. Now that Dari Coker's involved, it looks like Lee's going to do this. Are we interested? Yeah, absolutely. Spike Lee, I mean, I've never really been able to connect with his work at all other than um, he got game. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. I was going to say more than a game, but that's the bronze thing. So, But I definitely love the Night Watch idea. everything about finding your dead self from the future and, you know, ultimately taking up the costume anyway, even though you're creating the loop of time Mm -hmm. that'll, yeah, all of that stuff sounds super cool. I'm not, um, exactly hundred percent on board, not on board. I shouldn't say, um, up to speed on Coker's writing. Okay. Uh, but I, cause I haven't seen Luke Cage. Okay. But, um, they picked him for a reason. I mean, the close connection already, but, and he did the script for uh, Creed 2. Oh. Which started filming today as we're recording. So that's cool. This project has some serious legs. It does. Um, I think the fact, if Spike Lee is realistically circling this and Coker's script is already done, as it appears to be, this movie could pick up steam very quickly. They just have to cast, um, get it in motion. I mean, we'll touch on something else involving spike lee in our next story but you know he's also did she's got to have it for netflix he directed all 13 or 10 episodes of the first season i believe i don't know if he's he would do the same thing for season two but that's going to start shooting as well this year so it may be not be until the end of the year that this movie could get off the ground plus we have to wait to see you know how what venom does if these are actually connected to the mcu or not but I mean, you can't deny the talent involved, even if I don't think Nightwatch's movie doesn't necessarily need right now. You know, I'd rather see Sony not do this until we figure out what's going on with Venom. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, who knows? I mean, you can't turn down Spike Lee. Right. And the time, I mean, the time is clearly now to capitalize mm-hmm. on um, black superheroes. Yeah. And this is this is arguably outside of Black Panther, probably 
one of the cooler ideas out there for one. So Sony would be, I mean, it's a property they already own too, yeah. outside of Blade. Yeah, they own Blade, right? No, Marvel owns Blade. They own- They got Blade back. Okay. But anyway, this is definitely the best property they have and they should go for it. Yeah. So then speaking of she's got to have it, deadline reveal that she's got to have a star. Dewanda Wise had to leave Captain Marvel due to scheduling conflicts with shooting the second season of the Netflix series produced and made by Spike Lee. Uh, Thankfully, Marvel apparently probably knew about this months ahead, maybe not months ahead, weeks ahead of time. And they've already moved very quickly to find the replacement with THR reporting that Lashana Lynch is finalizing a deal to play the same unknown role in Captain Marvel. What's your take? I don't know anything about either of these two actresses <laughs> at all. Um, I even had to ask you about Lashana Lynch before we got going. And none of her, nothing on her IMDb, IMDb page was like, hey, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have a historically great track record of casting. So I'm sure this is perfect. Or this is great. Yeah. Um, it's it's weird to say perfect on their second choice. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure they got the next best person. Yeah, I mean, I am admittedly bummed about this because after Wise was cast, I went and watched She's Gotta Have It and really enjoyed that first season, really Mm -hmm. enjoyed Wise in the role of, uh, I can't remember her name now, but it's it's a really fun series. She's funny, but she can also do dramatic stuff really well. And it led me to believe that, you know, okay, Marvel's casting a star that's on the rise. You know, she just led a Netflix series. It's got renewed for second season. Mm Mm-hmm. This character has big plans. They have big plans for this character. And then they cast Lashana Lynch. No offense to Lashana Lynch, but her last credit was a ABC series that was canceled after seven episodes. Ooh. So she's definitely unknown. Like People aren't going to go because Lashana Lynch is involved. But on the flip side, you can say the same thing. Of, well, people weren't going to go see Black Panther because Letitia Wright was involved. And now yeah. everybody just wants to see a Letitia Wright Shuri Solo movie. So... I have faith in Marvel's casting at this point. So mm-hmm. I like I'm not saying that Lynch is gonna be a bad choice. It just to me, it lowers my expectations on what size of role this is going to be. That the fact that they're not going for like, you know, Neth uh, what's her name? Natalie Emmanuel from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like they're not going after a somebody who's a bit more recognizable to fill this void. They're going even more unknown, mm-hmm. which to me doesn't signal oh this is monica rambeau somebody's gonna come back and have a big role in future movies it's more like this is just somebody yeah so that's we'll we'll have to see we don't know her role could be confirmed tomorrow um but we also have confirmation finally according to deadline that margot robbie is officially in talks to join quentin tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood as sharon tate We've talked about this kind of before that she was in talks. Mm-hmm. She's being looked at. Um, but now that she's actually in talks, it looks like a deal is going to close her plus Brad Pitt plus Leonardo DiCaprio equals a good Tarantino movie, a great Tarantino movie. Tarantino's movies are always known by or no end up being known for their zaniness, their gore and what actor was doing that lunatic thing, mm-hmm. you know, on screen with DiCaprio, Pitt, B.J. Novak even, uh, randomly. <laughs> um, so this is, yeah, this is perfect. Yeah, I, th- I mean, this is a, a good career move by Margot Robbie. 
I mean, she continues to work. She works with Martin Scorsese. I mean, she got her big franchise movies now with DC. Now she teamed up with one of Tarantino's final movies. Makes a lot of sense. And she's reteaming up with DiCaprio. So, I mean, it's easy to see why she would do this role. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to see what kind of a role Sharon Tate has. Is she just like the girl next door? Because we've heard that she lives next to Brad Pitt and that she's his neighbor. Uh, but they're also both working in the acting business. Like, is she, does she also have the same role in a, in a project? Or are they both reading for a, the same movie or TV show or whatever? Um, or is she just like, the person next door who eventually gets murdered in the movie. And it's like, Oh yeah, that would, I don't think she would take a role like that. Yeah. I mean, I would like, I'd take it. <laughs> I'd be killed off in a Tarantino movie role, Why not? but Robbie is a Oscar nominated actress mm-hmm. and she wasn't being, um, at least somewhat crucial to the movie going forward. Uh, I feel like she would pass. Yeah. So then moving on to the last bit of news we got this week, variety reported, that Nightcrawler's reunion between director Dan Gilroy and stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Rene Russo has filled out its cast with Billy Magnuson and John Malkovich, Tony Collette, David Diggs, Natalia Dyer, Tom Sturridge, and Zoe Ashton all joining. This is a good cast. Woo. I'm excited. Not really because of the cast that we just got announced. I mean, there's some good names in there. John Malkovich, but Magnuson, David Diggs, Natalia Dyer. But it's Dan Gilroy and Jake Gyllenhaal no, again. That's, right. that's the selling point for me. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to like deal with uh, like two people like bidding for like art, I believe, like a like oh, art business. So like, man. who knows what this is going to be about? But I, I mean, I'm I'm all there for Dan Gilroy, despite the disappointment that was Roman J. Israelesque. But I mean, the character of Roman was great, yes. correct? Yeah, Denzel was great in it. So imagine Dan Gilroy creating art buyers, the like millionaire billionaire art consumers in that whole crazy world. He could have some real fun mm-hmm. inventing people like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And I don't know, uh, Divi Diggs, uh, the guy is on a come up, and I really hope um, he can get out of just spot roles. Yeah. In comedies, and I mean, because he's a great dramatic actor. I know. I mean. Hamilton. I mean, Hamilton is the shining proof of that. So, uh, as much as I love seeing him pop up in Kimmy Schmidt for like seven episodes, uh, I would. I'm going to be even. It's going to be even greater if he's able to bust out mm-hmm. in this. I think is like one of his first dramatic movies, um, at least for me to see. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Joan Hall. I mean, who who could not remember Nightcrawler? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, and this is a Netflix movie, so uh, snap. This is a prestigious cl- uh, cast for Netflix to have. A uh, really good director star pairing. Um, Netflix's quality of movies hasn't always been great. I mean, no. more nine times out of ten, it's not great. But I'm hoping this is the exception to that and really delivers a knockout. Have you seen Mute yet? No, no, me neither. But I mean, I've been waiting like- to watch Moon, which is also now on Netflix because they're supposedly in the same universe or something. Yeah, Wings and Nods. Um, so I wanted to watch that first before I watch Mute. So I'll I'll find time eventually. There, it's like an escalator. They're taking steps forward, but they keep kind of coming back <laughs> and then keep going forward. So okay. Um, hopefully, maybe this is the bust out where they explode into high quality. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. I'm also excited for Natalia Dyer to be in this because we get to see her in something outside of Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
which I'm excited to see because a lot of those Stranger Things kids, we've only seen them there, and I want to see what else they can do outside of that. So I just want to throw a quick shout-out to her as well. So that's all the news we have, which means we'll be back next week with a review of... Pacific Rim Uprising. Yes. Which looks fun. I'm worried about it. It's kind of like... I don't know if it's got a story to it. I don't know if it's got legs, but John Boyega makes like, I always have fun watching John Boyega on screen Right from attack a block to both the star Wars films. Um, not so much in Detroit, but, but he's Paci- good in it. He's good in it. But Pacific Rim looks like he's kind of back to his roots. And like his speeches are always like, yeah, I can do anything type of thing. Let's go bro. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, but I'm not expecting a whole lot other than robots punching each other out. Yeah, my expectations are very, very low for Pacific Rim Uprising, which kind of pains me to say because Steven S. Tonight uh, really delivered with season one of Daredevil. But I rewatched the first Pacific Rim a couple nights ago, mm-hmm. and I liked it more than I did the first time um, because it was it felt it felt more realistic. And like this one, it feels like a Transformers movie. Um, I mean, that final it had that that final shot of all the trailers. Where like that mod the monster grows even bigger mm-hmm. because of whatever or making it form even larger than it already was. Like yeah. there's no way that's not the end of the movie. So like what are we building towards? Like we already know. So it feels like I already seen this movie just based on the trailers. And since I don't think like the character is gonna be anything special and the action problem won't be anything that super special, I'm just like not even really looking forward to this movie. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna see it. We're gonna review it. Yeah. And I'll see it in Florida, so maybe that'll help boost it up a little bit. <laughs> right. But uh, that's all we have. We'll also be back this week with a big question uh, discussing the best way to reboot a franchise after talks of Die Hard 6 getting new screenwriters. So be sure to check that out on Wednesday. And if you haven't already, we did a uh, emergency episode to discuss the brand new Avengers Infinity War trailer. Check that out. Here are our excitement. Here are our breakdowns, our theories, everything. Because there's a lot to unpack there. And it's pretty epic. So mm-hmm. be sure to check that out. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, uh, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head to iTunes and give us a five-star review, hopefully. I mean, if we, don't, if we only earn a four, give us that four. But tell us why. Let us know what we need to do to get to that five. And then we'll do our darnest to get there. Or give us a five. Tell us what we can do. To get why you six. were going to give us a four. And then we'll do what what you want us to do. So like. Maybe. As long as it's realistic. Like credit. So oh, as yeah. long as it's not like. Don't ask me to do anything. Right. Bad. Here's a five star review. But I was going to give you a four. And I'm going to change it to a four. Unless you guys do <laughs> this. And it's Start like, blackmailing yeah, us we're in not the do, iTunes we're not doing that section. We want reviews. But not that badly. So uh, be sure to tell us everything. Uh, tell us your thoughts on everything you covered by tweeting us at Friends of Film. You can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn it next week for our view of Pacific Rim Uprising. Bye.